This is The Takeaway. I'm John Hockenberry. Thanks so much for listening. And we want to start this hour with a pretty big idea that comes directly out of the events in Boston last week. Call me wacky. A lot of people do. But did it seem to you at all that Boston went from being its normal Boston Tea Party, Paul Revere independent, New England brassy self to looking a little bit like Detroit in the movie RoboCop? Military vehicles on the streets, SWAT team commandos everywhere, army choppers overhead of the civilian population confined to barracks, you might say. Flashing light police vehicles, the only traffic, sort of like Berlin or Baghdad during an air raid. How close are we in freedom America to fortress America? And for all the heroics of law enforcement last week in Boston, how strange is it to see martial law right here in the USA? We've seen it in Boston. We've seen it in New Orleans during Katrina, of course. We saw it after 9-11 right here in New York City. Do we too easily embrace something like a lockdown? Should we be even more guarded and obedient to authority at times like these? Call us at 877-8MY-TAKE. Go to Facebook.com slash The Takeaway. Be a part of this conversation. We're also, this hour, going to explore reports of chemical weapons in Syria. President Obama has called them a game changer. Well, what's the game? What might change here? Also, a father and daughter are going to get real about money and retirement planning. And we'll have a closer look at the challenges of young men from conflict zones trying to make a new life for themselves here in the United States. First, to Boston, where last Friday the city was shut down while 9,000 officers from state and federal law enforcement agencies, including the FBI and Homeland Security, descended on the city to help the thousands of Boston-area police search for the Marathon bombers. 400 to 500 rounds were fired in the manhunt. $333 million might have been lost in city revenue as a result of people not working, not shopping, taking transit, or staying at home. But something perhaps more precious may have been lost on Friday. Is it innocence, Charlie Sennett? Is it the old uh, New England Minuteman Paul Revere notion of freedom that we might have lost a little bit last week in Boston? I don't think so. I think there was a lot more gained than lost. I think Boston reacted... uh, very aggressively to an attack right at the heart of its greatest day of the year, the year in which they celebrate not only Patriots Day, but it's Fenway, it's Red Sox Nation, it's the marathon. It's always a great day in Boston. It's, it's a day where we celebrate the life of Boston. My sense is that Boston really gained something. My sense is that Boston, in reacting as strongly and confidently as it did, It managed to contain the event, but it also managed to survive the event. You know, I've watched these bombings all over the world, Madrid, London, Belfast, Baghdad, Kabul, Jerusalem. Cities define themselves in reaction to events like this. And I think Boston defined itself well and proudly, and I Mm. think it stands tall. I think now, as we move towards prosecution, there's another challenge, which is, are we going to show mercy? Are we going to be able to be the kind of of, uh, city, the kind of country that can prosecute this young man for sure, but that won't get get sort of wallowed into, as you put it, this fortress America and not allow fear to really control the way forward. I think the reaction was, was appropriate. It went a little over the top with the lockdown. I think everyone felt that. But the city was in a mood to trust its police force. And I think they watched them live on television carry out a very dramatic capture. Yes, indeed. We're talking with, of course, Charlie Sennett, our good friend, executive editor and co-founder of the Global Post based in Boston. And, of course, uh, Charlie is a Boston native. So, uh, Mr. Sennett, um, let's talk about that lockdown idea. Did people feel it was over the top? Are the conversations, uh, wow, couldn't imagine this happening in our city? I mean, I, I tweeted that it was, that it was too much uh, at the time. 
Uh, I thought the lockdown in Boston, while the while the manhunt was focused in Watertown, was a bit much. I, I thought it was over the top. I think eventually the governor came to think the same thing, and they they lifted it. But I do think you know to look at it from law enforcement perspective. Here you had uh, an event in which they knew they had an armed man with bombs out there at large, right. and they had lost yeah. him. Yeah. And God forbid they had not cordoned off traffic corners, and God forbid this guy just rushed into a traf- into a mall, uh, a shopping mall, or a crowded street corner, or into uh, a, a crowded intersection even. No, the scenarios are clear. The, the so worst-case scenarios are clear. I guess what's interesting to me is you felt secure being obedient and, and seeing those steps be implemented. And Bostonians felt secure embracing that whole thing. Yeah, I mean, Boston Boston was shocked, and then suddenly Boston wanted security. You know, Boston has a long relationship with its police force. This is an Irish immigrant police force that grew up with the Irish immigrants who made Boston. It's very much connected to its police force. Look at the, the ceremony today for a, a security guard. At mm. MIT, at MIT, yeah, who was about to go yeah. on into law enforcement. This has always been a culture that took great pride in its law enforcement. I, I think you saw some of that coming through in Boston, but I didn't sense any any resistance to the idea that we were suddenly cordoned off or put under martial law, as you put it. I think it was a sense of, hey, everybody, take it easy. We we're going to get these guys. Let's calm down and let's handle this. You know, I, I grew up in the 60s and 70s, and I was trying to imagine how any of that would have gone down back then. It seems to me that what we saw last week in Boston, generalized to the United States of America, is, is really a kind of post 9-11 legacy in that we're living in a really fundamentally different time. Our relationship to law enforcement is fundamentally different. Our sense of fear of the outside world has become more tangible, and I think it helps law enforcement, and it certainly did in Boston. Look, I think that Boston just just changed. I think that's true. I think the nation changed to some extent, but I think Boston certainly changed. It realized that it can happen right here at home. I mean, New York, sadly, knows this very well from 9-11. New York has endured that. New York survived that. New York has rebuilt itself from that, and I think in wonderful ways. And as I said, I think every city, both within America and in the world, they define themselves in the aftermath of these tragedies. I think Boston is still groping its way forward toward that. There's still sort of the blast ringing in its collective ears. There's a sense that it has a lot more to do on this. What I really want to watch is the prosecution. What I really want to watch is how does the community deal with this sense of a threat from within, and that's where I think we need to be very vigilant about not allowing the fear to change who we are. And uh, certainly post-Katrina, there were overreaches. Uh, post-9-11, there were overreaches. Some people call the Patriot Act itself an overreach. I'm struck, though, in distinguishing Boston from both of those, it wasn't a big natural disaster. And it wasn't as bizarre as 9-11 was. No, I mean, 9-11 was, was the, the enormity. There's a, there's a kind of a this could happen anywhere quality in Boston that I think sets this apart. I think that's right. I think that that is the meaning of the Boston Marathon bombing, that anywhere where we are celebrating our cities, anywhere where we are gathered in a large group, are we now vulnerable? Are we going to now have to really think that through? Are we going to have, you know, metal detectors at marathons? Are we going to have metal detectors in, our, in Fenway? 
and in, in our sporting events. I think we probably are. And I, I hope not. I actually hope not because you've lived in so many places around the world too, John. You, you know this. You know that when you're in Jerusalem, sure, there are a lot of metal detectors, a lot more than here. But, but it's still also, Jerusalem. It's, it's still, still Jerusalem. Yeah, and right. there's a you're sense right. of resiliency to great cities, to this threat of terror. Belfast has that. Uh, for sure, uh, London has that after the 7-7 mm-hmm. bombings. And just from the experience of World War II and that ethos, I think that even to some extent, um, places like Baghdad have that. And we don't pay enough attention to that. You know, I talked about covering at least 20 cities where there have been multiple bombings in my life. Mm-hmm. I've covered scores of bombings. And yet it was fundamentally different when a bomb happened in my own hometown. And, and I guess the question is, why is that true? It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be any different. In fact, it's much less uh, severity oh, yeah. of a bombing than oh, many so, of the so ones i Israelis I've were saying last week, come on, you right, guys, get some perspective yeah. here. And I, I tried to keep that perspective, but it is different when it's your hometown. And the, the key is to remember, I think, as storytellers, as journalists, is every time there's a bombing, it's someone's hometown. You and know, not forget that. You mentioned the prosecution piece. I remember after 9-11, there was that celebrated interview with Dick Cheney the Sunday after 9-11, where he said, I believe to Tim Russert, um, no more Mr. Nice Guy in, in the way we, we're going to have to deal with bad guys. We're going to have to break some rules here. Do you think there's an impulse in America to toss out some valuable stuff when we are confronted with fears like this? I mean, absolutely. I think Zero Dark Thirty gets at that. I mean, I think you talked about the 1970s in America to today. There is a tension, I think, here between is this dog day afternoon or is it Zero Dark Thirty? And the truth is it's neither. This is not some some massive terrorist incident that requires this huge manhunt. This was an encapsulated moment, as you put it, that could have happened in any city. It's a new experience. It's something we haven't had before. It's the thing we always feared. What stops them from walking into a big crowd and carrying out a terrorist attack? Well, we just found out. Nothing stops them. Not even the FBI being on to them two years earlier. You know, it's very hard to control this. And I don't think we want to go there to allow it to change our lives in these really negative ways, to fall back toward those those uh, very dark instincts that first surfaced after 9-11 that came to the fore in Abu Ghraib in horrific ways and ways that I think damaged our sense of who we are ourselves mm-hmm. and to the world. I think Boston has a moment here to really think about how to, how to prosecute this with authority and mercy and integrity. And that's going to be the next challenge for Boston. Can I ask you a personal question before we go? Yeah. Did you knock on the door of your neighbors at all on Friday? Did you learn who's living <laughs> next door to you at all? Well, we we live in so we live out to the west of the city. Everyone came to our home. We don't know exactly why this happened. It might be that we have a lot of kids and we have a, you know, we have we happen to have seven puppies in our lives and we call it puppy therapy. We had about two dozen people in our home all watching this event unfolding. And literally passing around these yellow lab puppies that we just had born in our house. And that was like this nice. became this center of our community. But we were so far from the action that it, it was a little bit different experience than being right in the heart of Boston. Our office is in the heart of Boston. And when you were in Boston, you did feel a sense of looking out for each other, of vigilance. And I think, um, I think that's not going to go away. I think no. that may be the legacy of the marathon bombing is, is vigilance. Charlie Senate executive editor and co-founder of The Global Post. Thanks so much. Thanks, John.
So what about that uh, neighborliness idea? Here's a comment that stood out from the many we've had to the story in Boston from Charles in Seattle. Charles wants to push past the idea of who is and who isn't a terrorist. They are loserists, he says. We were annoyed, inconvenienced, saddened, and angered, but not terrorized. We love Boston. I met my wife while working for a Boston company. We will soon return to spend support, recovery, enjoy the culture and history, our first city. Of the loserists, forget them. Remember Bostonian solidarity forever. Well, on both tomorrow and Friday's shows, we're asking you to share your stories of being a good neighbor or a not-so-good neighbor. There's a move to make this Saturday something called Neighbor Day. We'll talk more about that later this week. But tell us about your neighbors. Do you know them? Do we still care as much about the folks next door? And does that matter? 8778-MY-TAKE for your stories. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash the takeaway. Here's a neighborhood that changed in New York after Hurricane Sandy. Coming through the storm, we had no real help. We helped each other. Blocks band together. It's... The neighbors helping neighbors is what's going to rebuild this community. I've been in New York for 20 years, and the last five years that I lived in Rockaway was really the first time I finally felt like I had a neighborhood, and I had people in a neighborhood and a community that went to meetings and cared about what was going on and tried to make change for the better. Ryan Bernath and Beth Perkins, good neighbors, perhaps better neighbors after Hurricane Sandy. 8778-MY-TAKE is our number for your stories. Find us at Facebook.com slash the takeaway. There's a lot going on right now. Mounting economic inequality, threats to democracy, environmental disaster, the sour stench of chaos in the air. I'm Brooke Gladstone, host of WNYC's On the Media. Want to understand the reasons and the meanings of the narratives that led us here and maybe how to head them off at the pass? That's on the media's specialty. Take a listen wherever you get your podcasts.